guys to talk to the four people next to you. Um, it's Labor Day weekend. You guys are not laboring. Other people are out laboring. Scoot back. Okay, I'm scooting back. Hey, um, so glad you're here. Welcome to Restoration for all of those who are here. Uh, family conversation really quick. A couple of things that are happening um, that you get dibs on because you're here. Um, the end of September, we're doing another family shelter week. And if you're not sure what that is, um, basically what we do for a few weeks out of the year is we host and feed a number of homeless families in our community, um, somewhere called the Lutheran Center. And the interesting part about this upcoming week is we are going to fill our roster with people who are going to do meals and people who are going to spend the night overnight, but we are waiting to hear um, if it's going to actually happen. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because there is a a little dispute right now with the city um, and some code stuff and the, the building we use, we may not be able to use. And if that's the case, we're not gonna be able to volunteer, but we wanna be ready in case it, it, it happens. And so you can go on our website. If you click on the serve button on our website, restorationcolorado.org, you can actually, or is this right? Okay, uh, <laughs> Mandy. Mandy was not listening, and she's in charge of everything. So, But she, she doesn't need to listen. We're family. It's cool. So you can go into the serve. <laughs> you can go on the click serve, and you can uh, follow the link, and it'll tell you everything. everything you, there we go. Everything we need to know. Um, next Sunday, we actually have a membership lunch. Um, what membership basically is is a chance for you to jump in on the kind of the core team around in this church. And so it's a way for you to link arms with other people at a deeper level, find out um, a little bit more about who we are as a church, what we believe, and, and we have lunch together, and it's a way for you to dive in um, on a deeper level. So if you want to be a part of that, you can sign up um, with on your connection card here um, or with uh, on our website. Two more quick things. One, we uh, set this place up and tear it down every week. And what we found is we tested it today. One more person on our setup and teardown crew makes a world of difference. And so we are adding three more. We have three more slots um, on our crews. Um, and it's a once-a-month commitment. And we it looked at it. It's two hours, uh, actually, of, of actual, less than two hours of actual work. And so... If you would like to jump in on one of our crews, um, our crews would just love it because that extra set of hands just makes everything go so smooth. You can use your connection card. You can talk to myself. You can talk to Troy. Um, just talk to somebody. Let them know you want to give it a shot, and we'd love to have you. And the last thing before we're going to get into some sermon action is uh, some of you guys have been wondering, what's up with Danza's Vorka? Like, what's the deal? Well, some of you know Danza's Vorka is on our staff. Um, team. He's our pastor of mission practice. And he, for the last year or more, he's been paid and he's been doing some things on our staff. Well, Dan got like a full-time, full-time job uh, teaching Spanish. Um, he doesn't want to talk to you in Spanish, just so you know. Just because he's a Spanish teacher doesn't mean you can go up there and just try out your Spanish on him. It, just, it doesn't interest him. But he's teaching high school Spanish, and he's doing a killer job. And so he's moved off of our paid staff, but he's still on our staff. Does that make sense? And so Dan's very much still a part of this place, but um, he's, he's in, the, in the throes of learning the teaching biz. So you can talk to Dan about that sometime, but we didn't want to bring him up here and embarrass him or anything like that. So, yeah, you bet. <laughs> um, let me pray, and then we're going to switch gears, um, and we're going to take our offering um, so I'm going to pray and, and then offering can come forward. God, thank you so much for who's here, our, our community. God, we know that um, so many people call this church their home. And, and in, the, in, the life, uh, in the life of a family, in the season of our lives, there's, there's so many things going on. But we've taken the time this morning to come together to hear from you. And we admit, God, we don't always do the best job. And 
we don't always have the best practices when it comes to slowing down and listening to your spirit. Listening to what your spirit is trying to tell us. Trying to show us what pictures and scriptures the spirit is is showing us and moving in us for each other. And so this morning, God, will you lift our eyes towards what it looks like to hear you speak. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we're going. And as the offering comes by, you can let it go by if you're new. Um, This is just kind of for us as a church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is where we're going. We're starting in the Old Testament prophetic book of Joel. Uh, the book of Joel. And so if you want to join me in the book of Joel, chapter 2, or you can just, hey, it's Labor Day weekend, you want to take it easy, it'll be on the screen. We're going to start in 2, Joel 2, and on the way, uh, we're going to talk about a couple of things. Last week, if you were here, we talked about this really interesting concept of speaking in tongues. And um, if you're new to church, Um, That might sound super crazy. Um, And so I would encourage you, if you missed last Sunday, to go back and hear that. This chapter we're in is a chapter in a book, in in a letter written by Paul to a group of people in in the city of Corinth. And this was a local church that was gathering. And Paul, in this chapter, in this section of the letter, he is correcting them. He's trying to keep them on track. He's trying to remind them of what the Spirit does and, and how they can operate uh, together. And last week, we talked about this idea of, of speaking in languages that are um, incomprehensible to others around you, and how Paul was trying to get them to think about bigger things, right? Like Paul said, hey, that's, that's okay, but that doesn't really build up the church. And so I want to encourage you to think about something else. And so this week, it's kind of this multipolar subject of of the idea of prophecy. Now, for some of us in the room, that one's also kind of weird, right? We think about um, uh, people who, you know, they prophesy about the end of the world on a certain date, and, and then they get a whole bunch of other people to sell all their stuff, and then the date comes and goes, and we're still here, Right? But that's not what Paul's talking about. And so if you're curious about this subject even further after, I've, after today's talk, um, I, I would encourage you to, to look at a couple books. One of them's by a guy named Wayne Grudem. It's called The Gift of Prophecy. And the other one's by uh, a guy who's a little bit more charismatic, and his name is Greg Haslam, and it's called Moving in the Prophetic. And I would encourage you, if this is something that kind of piques your interest, you want to learn a little bit more, Um, to kind of dig into that. So, but here we go. Oh, and by the way, next week we move into chapter 15. I think I shared with you guys a few weeks ago that chapter 15 is like, if, if if you know anybody that's far from God or far from the community of God, chapter 15 is Paul's Um, he just lays out not only the gospel, but what to expect when it comes to eternity. And and I would encourage you, like if you have somebody on your mind, your heart, that you want to invite for the next few weeks, this would be the way to do it. Getting to know our community, getting to know this series of things that Paul lays out would be really, really cool. And uh, next week is like the gospel. Clean, clear, lays it out. Okay, so I'm going to encourage you for that. So Joel chapter 2, verse 28 says, And afterward, this is God speaking, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now here's the prophet Joel and the prophet Joel looks, he's basically looking over the horizon into the future and speaking God's words to a day when God will pour out his spirit on all people. Now, in Joel's day, hundreds of years before Jesus, 
Um, scripture in the Old Testament would talk about God's dynamic, active spirit was, was only on people who were kind of key people, maybe a king or um, a prophet or, or somebody like that or a priest. Um, and occasionally God's spirit would come on somebody like Gideon, like a regular Joe um, kind of person. But for the most part, it was, it was the God's spirit came on leaders of the people. In the Old Testament. And Joel is looking forward to a day and where God's saying, inspired by the Spirit, there's a day coming when God's Spirit will, will change the world because it will come on all people. Does that make sense? A little further on in Joel, it says, I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. These are all kind of pictures of who God is. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And, and it's like, when you read that, you're like, man, what is that, right? It sounds like a Michael Bay movie, right? It sounds like this apocalyptic thing. But basically what is the picture is, is there's going to be an earth-shattering kind of event when the Spirit of God comes on his people and it will literally change the trajectory of human history. That God is dynamically at work in his people so intimately that they will do things that will alter the course of history. Does that make sense? And, and it says in verse 32, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So now we're going to head to Acts chapter 2. And in, in the New Testament, you have the Gospels, you have Jesus coming, and Jesus comes as a Jewish prophet. Um, in Hebrews, it says that Jesus was the great high priest. Um, and, then, and then it also talks about in, in, the, in the Gospels that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And so we have this picture of Jesus being uh, in the role of prophet, priest, and king, right? That there's these three really important roles for uh, the people of Israel, and Jesus goes to the cross and breaks himself open for the sins of the world, and he comes out the other side in his resurrection, and, and he meets with and he encourages his closest followers and promises them the coming of the Spirit. And here we are in Acts chapter 2, and it says this in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, you know, for us, whenever they talk about tornadoes, everybody says it sounds like a train, right? So I bet you they would have said it sounded like a train too, right? The, the sound of a, of, a, of a train came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, whatever you think about the Holy Spirit, whether you're not sure what this is or, or, or what, for sure the Spirit is not a dry, boring, technical term that, that just shows up in a textbook, like a systematic theology. It says this in verse 4, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. We talked about that last week. Now there were now they were staying there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. Look down in verse twelve. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, "What does this mean?" Some, however, made fun of them and said, "They have had too much wine." Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice. And addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, right? Which doesn't stop some people. Um, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Hundreds of years before this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. You know what's interesting? Men and women, old and young, 
you follow Jesus, God's spirit is in you. God wants you to speak. God wants you to speak into others. Out of that, he goes on to quote the rest of Joel 2, and he preaches the gospel. And so for Peter, for the first time in his life, announces the kingdom of God, and he calls people to repent and and turn around and follow the true and living God. It's It's this unbelievable moment. Here's the point. Joel's prophecy comes to pass in real time, in real life, on the streets of Jerusalem. It comes to pass. And from that moment on, God's spirit starts to come on all the people, all the people who follow Jesus. And I remember that whole idea of prophet, priest, and king. When Jesus goes back to the Father and his promise of the Holy Spirit comes to all the people, what happens is is that role of prophet, priest, and king goes out. And if you follow Jesus, you become, as scripture tells us, a prophet out of Joel 2. A priest, we learn this, right? Uh, in First Peter 2, it says, you are a royal what? Priesthood. And then it says in Revelation 5 that he has made us kings and priests to our God and we will reign with him on earth. So if you follow Jesus, you actually have a new identity, a new role, a new set of marching orders that includes being a prophet, being a priest, bringing people close to God and being a king, and stewarding, and ruling, and being a part of what God is doing in this earth. Like, these are really significant things that we're unpacking. And and we now live in a world, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that the Spirit of God has ushered in a new reality, and that you and I are sons and daughters of this living God. And we do what this God tells us to do. Now, all of that's in the back of Paul's mind when he's writing this letter. Paul brings with him this understanding of Joel, all the history of the early church, everything that the Spirit is doing. And and when he he steps into this conversation with the Corinthians to correct them, okay, he's trying to correct them here. He starts off in verse uh, 1. He says, follow the way of love, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And then what does he say? especially prophecy. Now, if you grew up in more of a conservative background like myself, that freaks you out. It kind of freaked me out. What is going on here? Now, to to make my case one more time is the word gifts in the passage. Like we talked about this, right? In the actual Greek, there's no word gifts. So... Uh, Paul is not using the word spiritual gifts together. He never does. Anywhere in his writings, in, in the Greek, there is never gifts and spiritual together. Anywhere. And so what we have is this word pneumaticos, which means the stuff the Spirit does, or the manifestation of the Spirit. And when Paul says, especially prophecy, um, he's not saying the gift of prophecy. He's like, he's like, lean into, he's like, you want especially prophecy. You want to be able to see God move through you in that way. And so don't think of it as a gift you do or don't have. It's more accurate to think about it as something the Spirit does to anyone who's open to the Spirit doing it. Does that make sense? And we have loud kids, right? But that's just how it is. Maybe we should shut the door to kids. Is the door open to kids? Real Man, it's coming underneath. Man, you guys brought some really feisty ones. I love it, kind of. So, but here's the thing. When we talk about the word prophecy, right, it brings up stuff in us. We're not really sure what that means, right? What scripture says is it's available to all of us who follow Jesus. Okay. Well, what do we do with that? Right? We don't know much about the word. To be honest with you, it kind of freaks us out. We think it means like predicting the future. But that's not what it 
mean? Sure, there are predictive prophecies in, in Scripture, but that's not what this is getting at. 1 Corinthians is about the kind of prophecy that's open to anybody, and it's about the Spirit speaking through us to others. Not like we're in a trance and we don't know what we're saying. Something much more beautiful than that. I've got a few things to help us with this. Some definitions by some scholars that I looked up. This might be helpful for you. It might not be. This guy named Wayne Grudem, he wrote, he wrote this. Speaking, this is what prophecy is. Speaking what God spontaneously brings to mind. Okay? Here's another one. If you have the ESV Bible, the ESV study Bible, this is what the ESV study Bible talks about prophecy. The word prophecy is used by Paul in 1 Corinthians refers generally to speech that reports something that God is spontaneously God spontaneously brings to mind or reveals to the speaker but which is spoken in merely human words not words of God. Listen to this this guy named Michael Green is one of he's one of my favorites. Um, by the way, he wrote this book called 30 Years That Changed the World. If you're interested in a little bit more in-depth study on the book of Acts, I would encourage you to pick this up. He said, it is a word f- from the Lord through a member of his body, inspired by the Spirit, and given to build up the rest of the body. Does that make sense? Listen to this one. This is Ben Witherington. He's a... Uh, He's a uh, commentator. He says, prophecy is not a sermon by 21st century standards. It was a spontaneous utterance, which that's kind of a freaky phrase right there, prompted by the Spirit and based on a sudden, uncontrived revelation from God. And this is kind of more my version. And it's not on the screen, so listen up. When God's Spirit who lives and sets up shop in you and in me impresses scripture, names, sentences, or pictures for the building up of the rest of the body. Meaning, if we are paying attention, and if we are open to what the Spirit is saying, God will reveal to us people, maybe some scripture, something, a picture, or whatever, something to encourage them and build them up. This isn't, you know, we need to have a chat. Um, I, was, I was sitting there and um, you're really messed up. You know, it's nothing like that. It's, it's for encouraging the body. Now, sometimes it, it convicts, but that, that comes from them as well. So listen to this. It calls you to interpret that, whatever that is, and speak to someone in humility, whether it's a church or a family member or a friend. And... And, and to encourage them. Listen, here's a frame of reference. Verse 3, Paul says, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Did you read anything in there about telling the future or lotto numbers? No? And here's, this is really important, and I would argue that the vast majority of predictive prophecy in the Bible, okay, is not meant to tell you the future. It's meant to tell you how to live in light of what's coming. Like, it's meant to tell you how to live now in light of what's coming in the future. So, uh, one of my favorite authors says, all prophecy is about... uh, about the future is like a signpost pointing into the fog. And it's to help us to live the way of Jesus now in light of what's coming. And so, but here, what Paul's talking about is not future prediction. He's talking about strengthening and comforting and encouraging right now, right here. Right in someone's life that you care about. Um, so remember, last week we talked about speaking in tongues. And, and Paul talked about this idea of like if, you, if someone's new and shows up at a church 
and everybody's just, everybody's just yammering in tongues, right? They're going to think that's weird and scary. But then he says in verse 24 of chapter 14, he says, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everybody is prophesying, what are they doing? They're encouraging, they're strengthening, and they're comforting, right? They, he says they are convinced of, convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. And this comes from a quote out of Isaiah 45. And, and this idea basically is that when someone shows up and they see the people of God acting in a way that are strengthening each other and they're, and they're bringing things out of each other and they're encouraging each other, what they're going to experience is the fact that the rumors of God are true. They're actually going to say, no, there is really a God. Like they're going to experience the weighty glory of God. And they're going to say, yes, the rumors of God are true. Uh, rumors of God are true and God is really among you. And so God's presence is now here. And Paul is saying that it's now functioning in the new temple. And the new temple is the community of God. And we enact that every single time we get together. Every single time you gather with somebody else who follows Jesus, you have the opportunity to hear from God in a, in, a, in a really profound way. And you have the opportunity to speak into somebody else's life in a really profound way from God. Does that make sense? You ever had a conversation with someone and they say something just in passing and you're like, wow, I needed to hear that. Has that ever happened to you? Somebody say yes. Like, yeah, is that happening? That's prophetic. They didn't know that you needed to hear that. They didn't, they just, they're just being them. They're just, God is pouring out of them, right? Have you ever been driving in your car and you thought to yourself, oh man, I really just need to get a hold of so-and-so. I really feel like I should tell them this. I should tell them whatever you're thinking, you know? And you're like, ah, they're busy or, you know, you just maybe pass along. That's, that's the spirit of God actually wanting to speak. I remember like um, I was gathering with a group of, of people and we were going around the room and they were saying, how do you hear God speak the most? And I was reflecting on that. We had time to think about that. And I, I think the right answers are like, well, in my quiet time in the morning, you know, or whatever. Um, and, and really I, I found that, yes, I can read the scripture and I can hear from God all the time, right? And sometimes not, but sometimes I can. And, but when I'm around people who are Jesus followers and we are gathered together and maybe we're around 10 man table on Thursday mornings, you know, and, and we're all looking at the same passage of scripture, but we're, we're sharing things out of our own kind of hearts and our own experiences. God speaks. And so when we walk, you know, when you walk into this place and you don't know Jesus, we want you to experience the fact that God is really real, that God is really among us, and, and that God's, the rumors of God are true. We want this gathering, and whenever we gather as God's people, to actually, to actually kind of lay witness to the fact that we want what is happening in heaven to happen on earth. That's what we want. And so Paul says that this is the vision of what church should be like when church comes to life, when entire, this entire community embraces the prophetic and leans into and steps into this together. Look at verse 26. Paul says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation or a tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done so the church may be built up. He's saying everyone contributes, everyone participates, right? Did you read anything in there about a sermon or a pastor or professional Christians? Because <laughs> that's, that's what I am. I'm a professional Christian. I Christian for a living. 
Um, did you read anything in there about stages and microphones and sound systems? Doesn't mean all that stuff is wrong, but there's a dichotomy between this idea of a professional Christian and attenders. And we live in this really weird world where we've elevated professional Christians, right? And, and you come and hear from the professional Christian, and then they tell you a couple things to try, and then you go out and supposedly try those. And then you come back next week and you feel kind of beaten down and, you know, because the person up on the stage has it all figured out and I'm never going to be like that. And, and you're just consuming teaching. Paul's saying, no. When you gather, come ready. Something you read this week, something you heard from God this week, uh, maybe a song or whatever. You come ready to bring that together with all of us. The problem is we have like a setup that it's hard to do that, right? So how do we do that? How do we do that with you? We have to be intentional. There's something about the gathering that that can be a part of, right? But there's some of those things that just aren't good in, this, in a group of 100 and 150 people. Some of those things we have to save for a smaller gathering of us. And if you don't have a smaller gathering of us, I would encourage you to lean into that because you have something to give. You have something to offer. God wants to speak through you, your experiences, your mind, your heart, your, your personality to other people in the room. And the hard part is, is you can't do that if you don't know anybody. If we don't know each other, we don't have a relationship with each other. We don't trust each other. We can't do that. And so the, the, the first step, remember last week I talked about the Corinthians is they have all this crazy stuff going on in the church, but I was like, at least they know each other. Like they have, they, they have these crazy services that Paul is trying to correct, but they know each other's names and they know each other's lives and they know each other's kids and they know each other's hearts, right? Like there's sometimes I think we got to start a little further back. And, and I would encourage you, if you're not connected to anything, we have simple things coming up like dinner. <laughs> you can just have dinner with people. Like it's kind of a low bar, right? Like most of us eat dinner already. So what we're hoping <laughs> is that you'd go, hey, on this one particular night, I could eat dinner with other people, right? Like, we can do that, right? You don't have to come. There's no Bible study. You don't have to like, just let's eat dinner together. Like you can do that. Like you just sign up on our, on our connect page. It's actually on our grow page, I think. Click grow. You can click on dinner group and, and we will help you find a dinner group that's happening this fall. Simple stuff like that. There's men's groups. There's women's group. You can, you can connect. You can start to get to know other. Now, here's the reality. Every family has a crazy uncle. So the reality is you're going to get involved um, and you're going to be like, but I'm afraid there's going to be weird people. That's probably you. <laughs> like if you think it that way, just be like, oh, yeah, it probably is me. So just jump in and, and there's messiness and all that kind of stuff. And, and I would just encourage you to start somewhere because in verse 29, listen to this. This is what Paul says. Two or three prophets should speak. And others should, should weigh in carefully what is said. So what he said right before this is maximum two or three people speak in tongues if there's interpreters. Like he caps it. But then he says minimum two or three people should, should speak something prophetic. Two or three people should jump into this when you gather. A few weeks ago, we, um, we were just jumping into this conversation about what the Spirit does, and specifically what the Spirit does in the light of our community. And at the end, one of our friends, Steph, came up to me, and it was like the last song. And she actually came, she came up to Dan. She knew Dan was going up, and she just, she just had something burning inside of her she wanted to say to us as a church. And Dad, Dan totally passed the buck. And he's like, go talk to Ryan. So she runs all the way back to me, and I'm in the back. And she's like, hey, I got something I want to say to our church. 
I said, go for it. And then she goes running back to Dan. And she's like, he said I could do it. And Dan's like, right on. <laughs> so they go up and just with a lot of passion and a lot of just deep emotion, Steph just laid out an encouragement for our church to step into this, to lean into this. As scary as it is, as weird as it is, as maybe as just unfamiliar territory as it is, to lean into what the Spirit is actually doing. It wasn't weird. It was just something that she felt the Spirit wanted to say. Verse 30, and it says, and if a revolution comes to someone, or, sorry, revolution, a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. Now, this is kind of a weird phrase. Basically, what it means is you have control. You know, if something's in you, you can just, I'm going to wait my turn, and I'm going to say it. Um, that you're under control when this happens. It's calm, it's humble, it's measured. You don't need a, what we were talking about a few weeks ago, a charismolet, you know? You don't need a charismolet, like a TV preacher, to say something. Verse 33, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And that word disorder is actually Genesis imagery about shalom, about peace, um, about how God is creative, and all of his creativity and all of his beauty is in order, and that God does things in beautiful ways and in order and, and, and flowing. And, and remember, Paul is not giving a systematic theology on the Spirit. He's actually writing a letter. He's just writing a letter. And it's a letter of correction. And we're just listening to one end of the phone conversation because Paul actually is laying this out to them so that they would have a little bit more understanding of where it, what it looks like to be the church. Now, really quick, three quick things that I think are really important for us to understand about prophecy. Here's the first one. The prophecy Paul talks about in the New Testament is not the same thing as the prophets in the Old Testament, meaning... There's capital P prophets in the Old Testament. And these were the ones that said things and then they were actually became scripture, okay? Uh, meaning that these are, are, are lowercase prophet, meaning this is just for here, for now, for this circumstance, for this moment. Um, but it's based in scripture. It's based in who God is. And, 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 and it's basically a chance for the spirit to move through his mouthpieces, which are us. Second thing we need to understand is we're to weigh prophecy. We're to weigh it. Meaning, this word weigh actually means to evaluate or to examine. And the first thing we need to examine is, does this line up with Scripture? Does it line up with what we already see in Scripture? Um, it's like, I've, I think I've told you that story where the, the, I heard the guy tell me once, um, God told him to divorce his wife. Um, I'm like, nope. That doesn't line up with scripture. God would not contradict himself and tell you something that is, that is contrary to what he's already said. So this idea that does the prophecy, this, this thing that they're saying line up with scripture? Um, does it confirm or correct what God is already doing in my life? Many times what we're going to hear from somebody is something we're already wrestling with, something we're already chewing on something that's already been um, something we've uh, maybe pushed away or, or struggled with or whatever, and it's causing you, because of what they said, it would be kind of like, how did you know, right? How did you know that was happening? It causes you to push further into something, to lean into something, because it's somebody else saying it, and it's like a confirmation that God is actually speaking. And the third one is this. Does it glorify God or does it glorify the person who's saying it? A lot of times um, uh, we, are, we are interesting people in the sense that as human beings, we get kind of um, excited about certain things and, and kind of elevate ourselves. And we really need to understand that we're just messengers. And so is this person giving something to us to kind of pump themselves up? Or is this person uh, really glorifying God? And I think, I think all this stuff, to be honest with you guys, all this stuff 
happens in real normal, everyday conversations with people. If you're intentional. Like, you said something the other day that I can't shake. Can I talk to you more about that? First, uh, First Thessalonians 5.19 says this. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Here's the thing. I think a lot of us are so unfamiliar with this concept that we, we kind of keep it at an arm's distance. We're not sure what's happening. Um, now, I don't know if you've met people that follow Jesus or say they follow Jesus and there's just no life, there's no spirit, there's no fire. Um, I don't know if you've experienced church, a church like this. There's this idea that if all you want is a cold, cerebral, safe faith, easy, it's easy to treat the living, active, speaking voice with God, of God with contempt. Because it's living and active. Now, there's two pendulums to this. On the one hand, there's this very conservative side that, to be honest with you, I've spent the majority of my life on towards this pendulum. I'm not saying all the way over, but this idea that um, kind of I want things to be lined up, I want things to be buttoned up, um, and I'm not sure I'm going to trust that. And then there's the other side of it that flows all the way over here, and Paul's saying you need to test what they're saying. Okay, You need to be... Uh, mindful of that. You don't just swallow it whole and do it and think it. Um, and so there's these two different poles, right? And so the reason why I'm saying that is that sometimes you got to sift stuff, but sometimes, to be honest with you, some of us, we really quench things. We really throw a wet blanket over it. We're afraid of it. And the last thing you need to know is this. Prophecy played a vital, central role in the life of the early church vital central role and because of it and you can read into a whole bunch of things in acts and how they they saw it they saw it you know there's a there's a part where they just they picked two guys to go you know and they they thought yeah we just we agree with the spirit that this is good all these things you can see is an active moving of the spirit through the followers of jesus at the time because that's all they had they didn't have conferences and podcasts and books and all this kind of stuff they didn't have like ways of doing things. They were just going for it. They were trusting. And so we're going um, to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But as the scripture goes, we actually actually jump onto a section of scripture that is super awkward. You can show it. Throw it up there. Verse 34. Ladies, get your tomatoes ready. Okay? We're just going to jump into this. Women should, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So we're going to jump into this. I mean, I think it makes perfect sense, but I'm just kidding. Oh, keep the tomatoes. Um, this is a really interesting passage because it's like, where did that come from, right? And for some of you, especially ladies there, you're like, I don't really like Paul. This is probably why. You're like, Paul doesn't like ladies, so I don't like Paul back. Um, this, this is a really interesting passage. Hands down, one of the most controversial passages in the New Testament. And because we've decided to go verse by verse and chunk by chunk, we get to talk about it. We're going to just take a little bit of time because I think it's really important for us to talk about it, but I could spend 30 minutes unpacking 10 different scholarly views on it, and I'm not going to do that. Um, here's the thing. There's no consensus on the meaning of it. Like I said, there's 10 different views. The one view that I hands down reject is the view that takes this literally and says that this is how you should operate as a church right now. And the reason why is because three verses later, it talks about the, uh, three verses before, it talks about prophecy coming on all people. And he talks about men and women in the Old Testament. And it talks about servants. And so you cannot take this literally and at the same time apply all the things that Paul, I mean, that Paul would just basically be contradicting himself. 
So what is going on? Now, there's so many different things happening. Um, a couple of commentators and historians have talked about this idea that temple prophets were women only. And if you've probably seen some um, Greek mythological movies that had um, these, these, these um, gatherings where, where military leaders would go and, t- and consult the oracle. You guys ever heard of an oracle? Okay, it's this idea that there would be these drunken women around um, this spiritual uh, demonic kind of person who would actually send prophecy through these women to whoever was asking for the prophecy. And so, what are we dealing with here in Corinth? What did we deal with earlier in the, in the letter? We dealt with temple worship. What Paul is doing here in Corinth, in my opinion, and I'm right, <laughs> is he's separating out the church of God from the temple worship. And if prophetic work is happening in the temple and prophetic work is happening in the church, Paul wants to make sure it's very clear that those don't look the same. Okay? And so we don't, and there's also other versions of commentators that actually feel like this chunk was inserted later. That Paul didn't even actually write this. I don't know. All I'm saying is, is that there are some obscure places in the Bible. We don't get all of our doctrine and theology off of it. Um, but I felt like we needed to talk about it. So um, are we cool to put our tomatoes down? Cool. Verse 36. It says, or did the word of God originate with you? Paul's answer is, it's a hypothetical question. No. Or are you the only people it has reached? No. If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Uh, You know, it is this idea of like, hey, you guys can confirm this just for the fact that many of you are kind of working out these gift of this, this prophetic manifestation in your own life. And then he says in verse 39, as we wrap up, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid the speaking in tongues. He says, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, here's the part that I laugh at all the time. That last line. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Because I think we have the opposite problem than the Corinthians. I think we love fitting and orderly. I mean, have you ever seen me set up chairs in this room? Some of you set up and tear down people are like, oh, here he's going to come fix them. They're, they need to be orderly. And you need to have enough distance between you and the person next to you and the person in front of you to not feel closed in, right? Order. We have service orders, right? We talk about transitions from one part of the service to the other part so it's not awkward, right? We, um, order is nice because order is predictable. Order is convenient. Order doesn't require trust or faith, and order doesn't require your participation in it. What if God broke into our order? Right? Like, what if God broke in? What would we do if that happened? When was the last time you approached your day with the expectancy that God was going to move and you were at the edge of your seat? ready to hear from God. When did that happen last? Because we like things orderly. We like a plan. See, here's the thing. We can label gun this church to death. And and literally, it's great for our roadie crew. Labels on everything. But we can really metaphorically label gun this church and order it to death. Now, this conversation today might scare you to death. 
because you're sensing that, yes, I have things all buttoned up. I have things in their buckets. I have things settled and, and laid out. I, I know what I need to do. I need to have a quiet time. I need to join a small group. I need to serve. Voila. But that's not what Paul's getting at. I'm going to ask three questions as we talk. Okay? Three questions really quick. And, and, and the band can actually come up. We can get going. Do you believe that God speaks? That's the fundamental question at the bottom of this. Do you believe that God speaks? Do you believe that God is able then by the spirit of God to put stuff in your mind? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God speaks? Do you believe that God puts things in your mind for other people? And what if I were to say that there are times that God wants you to take that stuff and go and talk to somebody? Take that stuff and bring it to us. Take that stuff and gather people in your life and share it. See, that is what the New Testament calls prophecy. And on the other side of the reality that there are some really weird things in the Christian world done in the name of Jesus, okay, that's, that's there, that's that weird reality. There's a very real world where God speaks, actively speaking to you and to me. He wants to speak through you and me to each other. We worship a God who speaks. We worship a God who speaks. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If the answer is yes, okay, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are you setting aside time to hear God speak? So we're going to pray, and I'm going I'm to let God speak. 